0: from mpb think radio this is creature Comforts. it's the show all about your animals and the animals around you kevin farrell here with libby hartfield retired director of the mississippi museum of natural science and dr troy major veterinarian at the animal medical center in jackson our guest today george phillips the paleontologist at the mississippi museum of natural science he's here to talk about the exhibit Tatanaboa, the upcoming fossil road show and if there were any dinosaurs in Mississippi a long, long time ago, join the conversation with your comments and questions. The phone number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show, animals, at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. Welcome back this is creature comforts on mpb think radio it's the show all about your animals and the animals around you i'm kevin farrell here with libby Hartfield, retired director of the mississippi museum of natural science and dr troy major veterinarian at the animal medical center in jackson our guest today george phillips paleontologist at the mississippi museum of natural science he's here to tell us about the exhibit titanoboa the upcoming fossil road show and if there were any dinosaurs in mississippi a long long time ago Join the conversation this morning with comments and questions. The phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464, or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. I always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday morning, there is a repeat broadcast Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning. That hope everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I think the uh the the Westminster Dog Show was held uh this week I guess and uh, a German Shepherd named Rumor one he uh Actually finished second in 2016. So, uh, good uh, good work between him and his uh, handlers and trainers to move up and and capture the top spot. He was a handsome one. I'm
2: pretty sure it's a she. Oh, she. She? Okay, my bad. My bad. I think you're
0: right. Pardon me, Rumor. I gotta
2: stand up
0: there for. Yeah. I I owe Rumor a doggy treat for that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That that name could go either way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it says the last time a German Shepherd won Best in Show was 1987. That's interesting. That yeah. <laughs> One of the more established breeds or whatever, so that's uh that's fun. I wonder if uh, did anyone happen to watch the the Puppy Bowl during Super Bowl mm-hmm. Sunday? I no.
2: oh, you know, I always forget that. I should have had that. I s- I, some years I've had that on the computer. Well, were there any the injuries? Two- I, guess, oh, <laughs> I
0: saw some uh, pictures of behind the scenes uh, f- uh, photos, and it's interesting. They said they're all shelter animals, and so they um, they let the press in as kind of a, a before the thing during the sh- during the filming of it, you know, for publicity and Ooh-hmm. everything. And they said that. Um, majority of all the pets were adopted out by the uh, the, the photographers but and other friends oh, so, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like killing two birds with one stone so it's like publicize our event but also adopt uh these uh, little kittens and puppies and so, so they didn't have the puppies playing football uh, you know yeah. i've never seen it so oh. but i think that they have a field and they oh. kind of run around and I, I think there is some sort of
2: they chew on football oh, I toys
0: <laughs> <laughs> i bet they do They said the cats are a little harder to deal with because they just kind of want to do their own thing. But uh, like I said, from the photos involved, it looked like it was a lot of fun, a lot of cute uh, puppies and kittens out there. Uh, So uh, we are going to be visiting today with George Phillips, paleontology curator at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. George, good to have you back on the show.
3: Thank you, Kevin. I've been anxious to come back.
0: Uh, remind us again of uh, a little bit about your background and experience.
3: Well, uh, I've been with the museum for gosh, how long now? Um, Thirteen years. This is the lucky 13th year. And uh, when I came on board, Libby was still with the museum, and we had a lot of fun together. We did a lot of, we've done a lot of these shows. But I, I ended up here out of graduating from North Carolina State University, where I did my graduate work. And since I've been back here, uh, I've focused on Mississippi's uh, paleontology, being with the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And myself, my volunteers, and our collector network throughout Mississippi have made some amazing discoveries. Including this last summer, which I'll talk about later.
0: All right, very good. Uh, we've got some open phone lines, so if you have a pet question, if you have a question about fossils uh, for George, or just a general observation about wildlife uh, in and around your area, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you this morning. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, George, we'll talk about your schedule a little bit, but I know you must be excited about the latest exhibit at the museum, Titanoboa. Am I kind of saying that close <laughs> enough? Yeah, it's a mouthful, isn't it?
3: <laughs> yeah, we, we've had a lot of fun with it. Um, to, to see the at the end of the exhibit, there's the big model of the giant snake, a, a life-size model. And if you go through the wrong end, if you enter through the exit, you're really amazed and you don't understand what's going on. I've seen it on a lot of people's faces. Uh, They they, they don't know the story behind it. So when you enter the exit, make sure you enter on the far left-hand side to get some kind of background. Because people entering from the right think it 's a freak show this thing is forty eight feet long okay um, and wow. a lot of people don 't if they 're not reading the signage they, they don 't understand that this thing actually lived on earth. a snake that reached sizes of from four maximum sizes of forty two to forty eight feet long. Wow, this thing uh, lived and it may have lived other places outside of of Colombia. But so far, its snake, its fossils, uh, its vertebrae, and uh, other bones in the body have been found in this peninsula that uh, juts out into the Caribbean. Uh, found at the base of the peninsula, uh, the Guajira Peninsula, there in northeastern Colombia, in this enormous coal mine. So, if it weren't for the digging in this mine, they would have never seen this because it would have been buried under. I think that's a dry forest um, ecosystem there naturally. But uh, they've been digging this mine for years, um, and they found bones before, found other fossils. But it wasn't until the last several years that they uncovered these backbones of this enormous uh, snake, Titanoboa, which stands for, as you might imagine, Titanic boa.
0: So, uh, to help us again understand how fossils are created, say let's let's use the the snake as an example. How what, what obviously the, s- the snake dies, and so then give us the process of how it becomes a fossil.
3: Well, for uh, the Colombian coal mine exposes an ancient swamp. Um, other swamp creatures have been found there. Not everything is preserved. You know, the fossil record is very selective. But if you're an organism and you have hard parts like we do, a skeleton, a shell, things of that nature. Uh, there are chances that you will get preserved granted the sediments that you're being buried in or whatever you're being buried in are just right they have to have a right chemistry a right environment and that was certainly the case and is certainly the case today with modern swamps Um, there's very little oxygen as the organic matter accumulates in swamps swamps are filled with trees and they're uh, shedding leaves if it's a deciduous swamp Um, Or if they're dying, you've got all this organic matter that's accumulating and not enough flowing water in a swamp to keep it oxygenated. And oxygen is what destroys things so that they're not preserved in such a situation. So you've got this lack of oxygen or a uh, low oxygen environment, which is crucial in this case and in many cases to preserve fossils. And what has been, what has been preserved in that uh, deposit that was uncovered by the coal mine in Colombia is just phenomenal. Not just this giant snake, but they have a giant freshwater turtle. They have uh, these very large crocodilians called dirosaurs. And many different species of plants have been found at this uh, locality. In fact, um, the greater, the bigger picture with respect to um, paleoclimatology or the study of ancient climates, uh, what has uh, been understood from studying all the fossils in this environment is this is the first modern-looking neotropical ecosystem that existed there in northern Colombia or preserved there now
4: in northern Colombia. George, what's the... uh approximate age of the Titanoboa.
3: this would be about 58 million years old wow. give or take a few days <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. and that thing that i you know we've talked before George, and to me i think part of the exciting thing is is it's you get to kind of play detective or whatever because you you get fragments and things and then to sort of be able to reconstruct what the creature looked like when it was living that must be kind of an exciting process oh
3: absolutely you know the investigation never ends uh it, it has chapters uh, an investigation, a study, a research has chapters, and you're always adding to it. Um, it. It's it's always fun, you know. It never gets tiring. There are some fossils that are very common, but I will find this same fossil the thousands or the two thousandth time, and there may be a nuance with that particular fossil. Uh, for example, shells in our in Mississippi's fossiliferous deposit, shells are very common, but things grow on them, and you put them under a microscope. And you find that these shells accumulating on the seafloor hosted a variety of microscopic organisms whose hard parts were left behind.
0: Uh, my other thought would be, back in back so many years ago, was there anything that was small? I mean, we've got Titanobo. I remember the last time you were here, you brought something, and the size of it compared to kind of a modern one was three or four times. And so it seems like everything was gigantic. Yeah.
3: Well, big things make the news, don't they? <laughs> big in size, big in discovery. Uh, And really, it's the extremes make the news, you know, really tiny things. Um, We have a lot of tiny fossils that are very important in the collection. They're just as important as as the big things. (laughs) If
2: you go in George's lab, there is almost always someone over on a couple of microscopes. So you realize (laughs) there are lots of tiny little things. For a while, you guys were looking for little bitty mammal bones Mm -hmm. from like red hot, truck
3: stop side right we we are and we're we're looking for little bitty mammals in a variety of sediments right now Uh, wayne county has yielded a lot of that um microscopic things are hard to exhibit so uh around january we have our family fun science night every year and i pull out um a a digital microscope and we get to look at some of mississippi's microscopic fossils because we've got a lot of big things on the wall (laughs)
0: we need to take a quick break when we get back we'll continue talking uh, with our guest george phillips again dr majors here ready to take your pet question and we always like to hear general wildlife questions and observations this is creature comforts on mpb think radio join our conversation with your phone call one mpb ring it's one 672 7464 send an email to animals at mpbonline.org back with more after this
5: and music is mpb music radio from classical to bluegrass and everything in between mpb music radio has a sound for every ear for information on where to find mpb music radio visit
1: mpbonline.org this is an mpb think radio podcast to hear previous shows visit mpbonline.org or download the mpb public radio app to listen on your iphone or android phone on demand Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email animals at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio.
0: Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major is veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And visiting us today, our guest George Phillips, paleontologist at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. There's a new exhibit at the Museum of Natural Science in Jackson called Titanoboa. It's a a giant snake. Uh, George is here to talk about that. So if you have some questions about that or fossil collecting in general, uh, we're also going to mention the upcoming Fossil Roadshow, which George, I think, is in April, am I correct? It's in March. March, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. So, yeah, just next month. Uh, and uh, we'll have some other things to talk about as well. Always looking for your input. Give us a call to join the conversation. One eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 We've got a caller on the line, so we say good morning to Roger, who's on the road listening in this morning. Good morning, Roger. Go ahead, please. Uh, one of your most loyal listeners. Good to uh, hear from you. As you know,
5: and I just want to remind, if I, I may have missed this if you've done it, but uh, remind uh, Livy and George to remind your listeners who are interested in fossils that, that the museum takes volunteer workers on these wonderful excursions where you dig and find these things. I've been on some, as you know, and, and uh, so just talk about that, both of you, because you've had those experiences, and it's old hats for George, but he enjoys teaching people with his... With his fingernails full of clay, I'm
2: gonna the- <laughs> Oh, he's revealing our secrets. We? Now we're gonna to have to tell everybody. Yeah,
3: thanks for the call, yeah. Roger. Thank you, Roger. Um, but I want to be clear that uh, we don't. Um, you, you, there's not like some kind of sign-up that uh, you, you, you call in and then you're guaranteed a slot. There's there's a, a, a review process, an interview process, before we let anybody go on the excavations. We haven't had any ex- excavation in a while. Somebody needs to find something big <laughs> before we need a lot of help. But I, I am a short-handed on uh, lab assistants right now. So uh, if I advertise anything with respect to volunteers, we are in need. We do have a free slot for um microscope work, if you're interested in that kind of thing at the museum.
2: Which is more exciting than it sounds, because you it do is. find some incredibly cool And you don't have to walk
0: long, long distances to <laughs> yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and I would imagine, you know, again, we talked about gigantic things, and then the, the very small things, but that, again, when you look through that microscope, it, it opens up an entire world that we're almost kind of, like, not aware of. It does. And, and it never gets old, either.
2: <laughs> I want to put in one comment, too, because Roger's talking about field trips, how much fun they are. You can make your own field trips for fossils, fairly easy. You do need permission from the landowner if you're on somebody's land, but uh, walking in creeks and on riverbanks, particularly in creeks, of course, that leads to all kinds of great things. That's (laughs) It's been a lifelong pursuit of mine finding, uh, first I guess kids look for arrowheads. You find your first arrowheads, you get hooked with that, then you start finding fossils, and then you find mussel shells and snails and all kinds of cool things. But uh, taking a walk in a creek bed as soon as it's warm enough to get your feet wet is just a fantastic way to learn about a lot of things and then when you find fossils you can you can send georgia a picture but you can usually find good information online to help you identify what you're finding
0: and that would seem like if you you know if you're family and have some kids interested in this what a great way to kind of pique that interest again you're out in the outdoors enjoying uh mississippi's natural surroundings and getting some exercise and and uh and becoming amateur paleontologists and fossil hunters now, so that's uh, a
2: <laughs> They're field guides similar to a, a bird field guide that can help you get familiar with, with um, things that you might ought to look for. You know, sometimes if you know what you might find, it's easier for your eye to pick that up. We
0: got another caller on the line, so we say good morning to Gabriel calling in from Pascagoula. Go ahead, Gabriel. You're on the air.
5: Uh, hi there. I was wondering uh, how common you come across. Go ahead. Uh, living on the coast, there's not a
0: lot of exposed rocks
5: growing up, especially like sedentary rock. But um, I remember I once came across a fossilized mushroom and ended up losing it, but uh, I understand, they're kind of rare. Uh,
3: You faded in and out. You say, um, have we come across fossilized mushrooms? Yeah. Oh, okay.
5: Uh, Other type of fungi, I know it doesn't exist for very long. It's got to be in just the right spot to become fossilized, right?
3: Uh, I believe they can. I know they've found fungal spores in the fossil record. Uh, I don't know about the uh, bodies. Uh, You know, I forget what they're called. Um, The anyway, yeah, the fruiting body. Um, I'm just totally ignorant on that. Now we find things that look like sponges. There are certainly quite a few things. In the sedimentary in the fossil record that look like spong- uh, look like uh, fungi, and one of them is sponges. <laughs> I just let it out. Um, yeah. uh, sponge fossils in marine sediments uh, often can be mistaken for um, uh, fungi. Uh, I-, I can think of several that we have in the collection right now that one uh, I didn't know anything about them and when I first saw them, they they look like toadstools.
5: <laughs> yeah, I let's uh, let's to describe what I came across. Uh, it was in a collection of river rocks. And uh, it took me the longest time to understand what it was there
3: are also non fossil things that are natural concretions that tend to take on the appearance of of fungi really mm-hmm. that 's really
5: interesting
3: and there 's an algae. Uh, we ran across an algae a, a year or so ago in South alabama that it 's a calcareous algae, so it mineralizes. And uh, they look like turkey fungus, <laughs> and that was the best way I could describe them to a colleague over the phone when I was asking if he, I could send him some <laughs> so he could analyze them. <laughs> wow,
0: good All question right. though, great question. Thanks for your call, Gabriel. Good to hear from you. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines ready for your call at one eight seven seven MPB Ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Um, so you mentioned that you have been sort of busy of late. George, what, uh, what, uh, what's what what been going on? Tell us a little about uh, what you've been finding.
3: Oh, I never get tired of talking about last summer's discovery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remind us again. Okay. Um, we were, I say we, uh, a new volunteer of mine, uh, Michael Estes of Pontotoc. I must drop his name. He's been very generous to us with respect to time, information, And specimens. He's he's a regular donor now, and uh, he has become quite the astute observer of the natural world, and perhaps was so before he met me. But um, he's a good fossil finder, and we were looking in a stream bed, speaking of creeks, uh, near New Albany, Mississippi, uh, July of last year. And I was doing some impromptu outreach with uh, a couple of uh, guys that we ran into. They were out there with their kids, And uh, we were talking about the things in the creek. They wanted to know what this was, wondered what that was. Soon I was beating the little boys off like flies. (laughs) (laughs) Everything they picked up. And that, that uh, that happens quite a lot. But anyway, so we're on our way out. It's time to get back to the truck. And we step on the very last accumulation of sediment and fossils as we were exiting. And there on the top of the gravel bar was this tooth. This is actually a reproduction of the tooth. I'll pass that around. Um, Our media person, Dee Gardner, has at 8 o'clock this morning posted or reposted the story that we posted on social media last summer about this discovery. This tooth is very special right here. It represents the only known fossil, only known remain, tooth, bone, or whatever, of a horned dinosaur. From Eastern North America. The original tooth is being studied in California right now. Uh, we're about to submit our final draft. My co author has the tooth right now. We're about to submit our final draft uh, on the scientific paper that's resulting from the research on this thing. But it is an incredible find. Um, the horned dinosaurs are a member of a group of dinosaurs, a larger group of dinosaurs called the beaked dinosaurs. And less than a handful, if you can imagine, of fossils have been found of beaked dinosaurs. But of true horned dinosaurs, the tooth I just passed around, this tooth from New Albany, Mississippi, represents the only fossil of such a creature known. And east
2: of the Mississippi east River. Of the right? Mississippi east River, of the Mississippi River. River. Of the Mississippi River. It they actually were includes prevalent things. in the West, right? And they were they might
3: have been prevalent here, and that's one thing we've been delving into. Um the terrestrial animals that we you know, Mississippi, the eastern North America, is dominated by terrestrial, uh, dominated by marine sediments. At least the fossil-bearing sediments are largely marine. Uh, one hypothesis is is that although we've found other dinosaur fossils, uh, you know, uh, these are carcasses that drifted from the shore because the animal was killed at the shoreline or died in a storm or what have you. Uh, these are regular coastal dinosaurs, based upon evidence in western North America. Uh, and the rarity, the now rarity, the extreme rarity of Ceratopsians, uh, horned dinosaurs, east of the Mississippi River, it could be that the horned dinosaurs were more inland dwellers, that they weren't frequenting aquatic habitats along the coast, that they were found more inland. So that's one hypothesis. So they could be actually quite common here in the east, but we don't find them. Because we don't have um, any good terrestrial deposits. Give some of the common names of
2: these. You're talking about Triceratops, Triceratops. which is one of the most popular dinosaurs in Here's a Triceratops
3: tooth. So, yes, a Triceratops is definitely the uh, iconic horned dinosaurs. There are plenty of others, Chasmosaurus, um, Styracosaurus, a a whole host of these dinosaurs. We posted images of many of these types of dinosaurs uh, on the social media this morning. But yeah, imagine uh, a horned dinosaur. They have the brow horns, and many of them have the the snout horns. And uh, this is what this thing would have looked like. You know, and of course, that's based upon a single tooth, but the tooth is un- is mis- is unmistakable.
2: When we say Eastern U.S., and I said east of the Mississippi River, but the Mississippi River wasn't there then. That's true. So, so that's our was reference there a point. Divide that kept. Actually, they have not from-
3: been found in many states on the western side as well. Uh, so. 300 miles uh, west of the current Mississippi River, there was a shoreline that um, was on the eastern shore of, a, of a, an inland sea that stretched from the Gulf of Mexico to the Arctic Ocean. That was the main reference point. So on, that
2: was a, a definite divide
3: right, there for a, a, animals. A, a great pass. obstruction. And the hypothesis is, is that we hadn't found any horned dinosaurs east of the Mississippi River. Truehorn dinosaurs is because they were all in western North America, and most of their evolution occurred there. And there was never a uh, fall in the water level of that seaway substantial enough to allow them to emigrate over here.
2: Now, is that a um, sea before the Jackson Sea, or is that the yes? Jackson? That's not even right, yeah.
3: and it's and it's not really connected it's, to it. Oh, confusing. It's, it's near mm-hmm. it, yeah. it's, but it's a different um, physiographic feature.
0: We've got some phone calls. Let's get to these before our next break. Beginning with uh, Ronald and Jackson. Ronald, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hey, how you doing? Good morning, guys. Good. Good
1: morning. Listen, I'm, I'm kind of new to the Mississippi area. I, I'm an avid fisherman. I really love fishing rivers. And I've had some people speak to me about alligators in some of the rivers in Mississippi. Now, I I kind of, you know, I can see them on the Gulf Coast. I was just wondering how far north would I expect to actually see an alligator if they actually exist in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Can you answer that for me?
2: They do exist in every county in the state, I believe now and uh so there is a slight possibility you would see them um an alligator attack on a person is very rare if if that's the concern and um you know i would say keep your eyes open and just kind of look it it's i don't think it's in, it stopped any of us from going um, mississippi rivers i've never had a dangerous encounter but i have walked down to a bank of river before and seen one and thought okay i'm gonna go back up now yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll come down to the river on another spot but uh uh i I, would, I don't i don't you know i don't want to tell you not to ever be afraid of them but i don't think you need to be terribly fearful what do you guys say
3: well i would say go online and look for um pictures of tracks uh, to see if there's been any evidence in the area. And I mean by the footprints. I mean, there's other sign that you can look for. But the footprints are very distinctive. You wouldn't mistake them for anything else.
0: All right, uh, Ronald, thanks for that call. Uh, also, I, I think it, uh, the alligators are one of those creatures that are they're sort of kind of pretty much afraid of us as we are of them. It's one of those yes. where we both, yeah. if you both keep your your distance and your own space there, uh, you shouldn't have too much trouble.
2: Yeah, and contrary to what you might see on some of the television shows that like to sensationalize that, they're not... They're aggressive when provoked. Don't don't poke one with a stick, for sure. <laughs> or get on uh, his back, or guess, yeah. any of a number of things.
0: <laughs> uh, Timothy is on the line from Louisiana. Good morning, Timothy. Good to hear from you.
5: Good morning, y'all. Um, one of my favorite subjects here. All right. You know, coming up, I, I used to go... Um, um, out with my grandfather and father and brothers, and we walked the creek beds of East Texas, and we found that hogwallas and gravel beds were some of the best places to find fossils.
2: What? And
5: um, you got to watch out for the ticks around the hogwallas, of course. But
3: um, would you have ventured uh, into? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But would you have ventured into the Toledo Bend area?
5: Absolutely. Yeah,
3: I thought so. Yes. Collecting um, petrified uh, wood?
5: I, I mean, all over, like uh, big thicket country, you know. Um, and out west, as, as far west as, uh, um, as um, the uh, Big Bend country.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh,
5: my grandfather wrote for Lapidary Journal. Oh, and, cool. You know, one of the, the first fossils I found was the state fossil of Texas, which is the fossilized palm. Hmm. Oh. And I mean, I, you can find that like every freaking day. You are out for a walk,
3: <laughs> especially you know? that Toledo Bend area, right?
5: Uh, well, I, all over, you know. Okay. Um, I can't think of a single creek I walked in Texas that I didn't pick up a piece of petrified palm out, and I found uh-huh. some here in Louisiana, mm-hmm. and that's the state. It's the state fossil of Louisiana too.
3: <laughs> I had no so, idea.
5: What is the state fossil of Mississippi?
3: Our state fossil is a vertebrate instead of a piece of wood, uh, although our state stone is petrified wood. Our state fossil, the vertebrate, is a prehistoric whale called Zygorhiza.
0: All right, but, Timothy. Oh, Jim, go ahead. That's good. Uh, good to hear from you. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue discussion with George Phillips, who's visiting with us today uh, about fossil collecting and fossil hunting. Uh, Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions. The number to call if you'd like to join the conversation is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more Creature Comforts after this.
1: standing member of MPB Think Radio. We appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
0: Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and we're visiting today with George Phillips, paleontologist at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're talking about the new exhibit at the museum, Titanoboa, a uh, uh, snake that uh, lived many, many years ago that uh, George said, I think uh, George up to 48 feet uh, in length, I guess. Yes, yeah,
3: the model in the museum is the maximum size, apparently
0: um and you've got some i, I always love George brings in some show and tell and we're going to talk about that and and get an idea of uh of the the actual size of the snake by comparing some uh, some bones here but first doctor major just a thought um it's getting warmer, I guess spring is around the corner. Um are some things to think about as the weather gets warmer with pets, I guess uh always ticks and fleas to worry about. What are some other things to to keep in mind as hopefully we we might get through what has been a very mild winter and into spring? Right. It, it's we haven't had much
4: winter, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And uh as you well know, uh fleas and ticks are beginning to make quite a surge. Uh we have fleas and ticks so year round here. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just get worse at certain times of the year. Mosquitoes, I'm sure you've seen some mosquitoes uh, in the past week or two. Uh, depends on the day, whether it's 30 degrees or 80 degrees. But uh, we're seeing those. Uh, heartworm preventive is always important year-round here in Mississippi, but especially stressed uh, now. And with people putting their animals out more, uh, During the warmer weather, uh, we see just your basic accidents, things that happen, ingestion of toxic plants, maybe uh, animals getting in fights.
0: So we see a little bit more activity this time of year. My cat uh, likes to greet me at the door when I come home from work every day, and usually he sits there and waits and comes in, and then you know waits for me to get uh, fill up his food bowl. But the, this last week or so, he has take, begin to take a very uh, interest in what's going on outside, and usually he'll kind of stick his head out. Well, the other day he was like halfway out the door, and I'm thinking to myself. Why are you trying to go out in the wild there when you have this nice, safe environment at home? So i he's, uh, I guess, a natural cat thing. He wants to go explore the outside, but uh, so far he has not made a bolt for it or anything. Right. But I, I keep trying to tell him, I'm like, hey... All those cats out there, if they could trade places with you, uh, they certainly would because they don't, uh, you don't have to fend with all the other cats and the things that uh, are a little bit of uh, uh, challenges to cats in the outside world. So, but it does uh, look like he sometimes will get up in a window and I think this morning uh, he was very interested in the birds. So, uh, right, you have to be careful. Uh, a lot of times, one of the first things a cat will do when they go outside
4: when they haven't been out would be to start eating a little grass. They They like to... Uh, fresh grass and it's one of the things that you can do in the house is have a little box with uh,
0: with grass for the cats oh. to eat.
4: Also uh, I was reading
0: um, a thing about people food that is good for cats and they recommended uh, steamed broccoli. So uh-huh. whatever the cat will eat a little bit goes
4: a long way. You don't want to just overdo right. that. Some cats like asparagus uh, which is a little strange. A lot of dogs will eat uh, carrots as a treat uh, those little <laughs> small carrots, like carrots he'll eat those but uh yeah broccoli would be fine but i wouldn't overdo it and i think they they actually kind of like some greenery mm-hmm. uh, one thing i will mention and uh, we had a case this past week please please don't feed your dog grapes uh, mm-hmm. or raisins because they are toxic and cause some severe kidney damage to the dogs mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of broccoli now. I wasn't too fond of it as a child, so if I only knew that, I could have been secretly feeding it to the cat all this time. All right. My mother would have said, oh, look at all the broccoli you've eaten. Right. We've got some open phone lines, so if you have a pet question, if you have a question about fossils for our guest George Phillips, or if you just want to share what you've been seeing when you've been out and about in the great state of Mississippi, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 877 672 Seven four six four. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline dot org. So George, we've been talking about Titanoboa and really just the incredible size it is, and you've got uh, uh, an illustration there. Some, I guess it's a, a copy of one of the fossil bones. Tell us about that. Yes, uh, Java will get Java
3: will get some shots of it later. He said, "Don't leave without getting pictures." Um, but if you really want to see it firsthand, you can see uh, reproductions of these vertebrae, including the model of Titanoboa. Uh, at the museum, we encourage you to come on out and take a look at this thing. Uh, to believe it, <laughs> you have to take a look at this thing. It's enormous. Um, but, yeah, we brought in some of the backbones of Titanoboa compared to a 13 and a half foot reticulated python vertebra from about the same part of the body. And as you can see, it dwarfs it. It's, uh, what, I don't know, a dozen times the size of the... Uh, Vertebra of the 13 and a half foot snake and imagine they had many of these vertebrae can you imagine the the pile
0: of bones left by a dead titanoboa <laughs> that's that's a lot of bones and that's amazing because you know that the 13 and a half foot snake for us in in modern time is is huge to begin with and, oh, and yeah. so we're really and then again it's probably that bone is probably about the size of your thumb where the titanoboa it's the size of your palm so it really it's amazing so thirteen and a half is is big i I think that the uh, uh,
3: maximum size for most of the constrictors to which the boas belong is around 15 feet uh, with respect to what has been well documented there is a pet i think the largest uh, snake on record was a pet by the name of medusa i want to say it was a python too um, but it was recorded as being 25 feet long and that was a guinness record so that's pretty reliable um, but snakes uh, the, the largest snakes in the world today don 't get much bigger than fifteen to seventeen feet long typically of course there 's a lot of stuff on social media that claims to be <laughs> twenty five thirty feet, and nobody uses scale. <laughs> like that uh, The video of the snake recently found somewhere in Latin America is a short video, maybe two and a half minutes long. The snake looks real big. Over two and a half minutes, they couldn't put something in there for scale.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that would spoil the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, it would spoil the whole thing. It makes you think
2: it's not very big. <laughs> yeah, it
0: does. But again, a 25-foot snake is huge to us, but then these, the Tatiana Bow is almost twice that size. So, I mean, it's it's just oh, amazing.
3: Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> in diameter, let's. we haven't even mentioned the diameter of this thing, 26 to 30 inches in diameter. Wow. Hmm.
0: <laughs> uh, let's back uh, go back to the phone lines. We start again in Greenwood. Bill has called in today. Good morning, Bill. Go ahead.
5: Oh, yeah, i got a cat, young cat, and I need to get it fixed. But I, I was wondering about, the, I don't want him to run all over the place and uh, probably get run over. Can you put one on a, a leash? Because my cat, I mean, he jumps right over the fence, and he climbs, stays up, up on the roof most of the time. He goes to my neighbor's house, gets on their roof, and I think they got a hole or something in the roof. And he goes inside the house. So <laughs> I just, I, I don't know what to do
4: about him. That's that, that the major about him. Well, listen, uh, getting him fixed should help some with the roaming. Uh, and I've said this before, in most cases, inside cats live a whole lot longer than outside cats. So I would be concerned about putting a leash or anything on him or tying him out because he's going to get in trouble with that. Uh Best best thing you can do is go on and get him neutered. I don't know how old he is,
0: but it would be best to get him neutered and see if that doesn't slow him down somewhat. All uh, right, Bill, thanks for the call. Uh, interestingly enough, I saw something online that for cats uh, for the backyard. It's You put it on the top of the fence, and it's like uh, a paddle wheel or something. So when the cat jumps up there, he has nothing to grab onto, and he kind of just gets thwarted oh. in his attempts to, to get over the fence. So that uh, might be something. I wasn't sure if it was in production or maybe some sort of prototype, but that sounded like an interesting idea to try to help. And uh, fun to watch. <laughs> well, it did make a fun video, too, so you're right. Uh, let's stay on the phone lines. We go next to Mary in Mobile. Good morning, Mary, go ahead.
6: Good morning. Um I just you were
5: talking about alligators being in the rivers. Mm-hmm. I live roughly on the eastern shore of Mobile Bay. And like if you go up to the causeway at most any place you stop and have lunch,
6: you're likely to see
5: an alligator. Mm-hmm. Yes. And those gators I presume can go right up through the whole state. I mean I in some places there are locks and things like that. I guess stop them but if it's an unimpeded waterway, <laughs> mm-hmm. I would think they could go as far as they can stand the cold.
2: Yes, yeah, and they're good at finding water. So if they, if they kind of follow a waterway a ways, they can actually sometimes find a pond or a lake to get another step further. And I so it's uh, not hard to go inland.
0: yeah took a, a swamp tour in Mobile where uh, alligators were probably – it was interesting because the the operator of it would have mush, uh, mushroom marshmallows, and mm-hmm. he would feed the alligator marshmallows, <laughs> which, which, we which we are
2: probably not a very good idea. You yes. don't recommend yeah. white bread or mushroom or This, mushroom, this, or this or is one of the problems with alligators,
4: of course, is uh, like dressing fish uh, on a dock or something like that or trying to feed the alligators, that's when we get in trouble with them. Uh, they they get to expecting that, and you can see how if somebody fell in or something like that, it could be an issue.
2: Yeah, they're not the smartest animal in the world. Well, I shouldn't say, but anyway, they're, you, they're you don't historic. need to start feeding them. They, they're not going to know the difference between your hand and the... Whatever you're feeding them, actually. So, yeah,
0: and again, you know, we like to say, uh, when out and about in observing in, in wildlife, keep your distance. Mm-hmm. You know, enjoy it, but but give them their space and and, 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 and just enjoy from afar. And I think yeah. it's a it's more natural uh, interaction that way. Anyway, we're staying on the phone lines. We've got Nikki in Starkville up next. Go ahead, Nikki.
6: Hi, um, I had a question about my dog. Uh, she's a lab, and this year she'll be turning eleven. And I noticed recently that she'll start panting a lot. Um, so, and it's just recent. So I don't know if it's something to do with her age or is it, do you think it might be an underlying condition that we need to
7: see the vet?
4: I think possibly it would be wise to see the vet. Sometimes they'll start panting because of pain. A uh, 11 year old lab has got some arthritis. Mm-hmm. Uh, no doubt about that. You may have her own arthritis medicine already. Uh, I can think of a, a dog myself that I've been treating and uh she will have episodes of panning or difficult breathing and usually uh, it seems to be related to pain there can be okay. other things of course that can cause that and uh mm-hmm. i would suggest a, a good checkup with your vet and discuss
0: that with the vet okay oh, okay all
6: right
0: thank you thanks nikki for your call let's uh, go next to trey in jackson hello trey good morning go ahead
7: yeah, my family and I just um adopted a rescue cat. She's four months old and um we have had her to the vet and gotten her all checked out and she seems to be in great help. And we're with she's coming from a home of one person and five cats to a home of six people and she's the only cat. And so I know the transition is we're we're still learning each other and I know that part of transition can be increased litter box use. Uh, But we're going on week two, and that hasn't slowed up. And I'm wondering if there are any dietary things I need to be thinking about in this transition time, too.
4: Okay. Is she using the litter box properly? She is. Good.
7: We've been very blessed in that. There have been no accidents. She always makes it in the litter box. But, again, it's it's a whole lot more than than I think is probably
4: what to be expected. Okay. Uh, What kind of food are you feeding her? Uh, Right now we're just feeding her prima kitten chow. Right. And how old is the the Uh, cat? uh, Four months. Okay. She's got a lot of training to do, and she's going to train you guys as well. My suggestion is certainly I always like to have an extra litter box somewhere if you can fit it in with your uh, house, because sometimes it can be some accidents. The cat just doesn't make it to the litter box, or if it's a long distance, they might start going somewhere else. So it's always good to have an extra litter box. Uh, Is she having diarrhea?
7: Uh, sometimes it's yeah. not consistent, right. but I would say at least once a day. It's okay,
4: busy. I would suggest maybe switching to a different food. Uh, you might consult with your vet about that, but I think it possibly a different food might might enhance or make it better. Uh, and I, I won't necessarily mention a brand because there are like dozens of brands. But if she's having issues right now with that. You want to go in and try to switch to something that maybe will be a lot better. Okay?
0: I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for your call, Trey. We need to take a final break this hour. When we get back, we've got Dawn from Columbus on the line, and also we'll talk to George about the upcoming Fossil Roadshow. That's always a big event at the museum each year. Still time to work in your comment or question at one mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org to back back to wrap up the show after this.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio Podcast.
0: Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And our guest today is George Phillips, a paleontology curator at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. I uh, want to talk about uh, Fossil Roadshow, but first let's get a couple of calls in. We start with uh, Don in Columbus, who's waited for us. Thanks for holding, Don. You're on the air, so go ahead, please. Hi.
6: Uh, good morning.
0: Good morning. I'm
6: calling for, uh, with a question for Dr. Majors about my 70-pound, 6-year-old lab mix. Yes. Um, She started limping about maybe a month ago or so, and I took her to the vet. She's seen the vet twice now. Um, I thought maybe she had, you know, a phone in her paw or something wrong with her paw, but uh, they couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything. She's had blood work checked. Everything is great. They assure me they don't think she's got arthritis or anything, but um, I've noticed that her back muscles are really super tight and knotted up. I don't know what may have happened to her, but is there something you can suggest for just loosening her muscles up? So sure. Maybe that's causing a limp. I
4: don't know. Sure. Which, which leg is involved?
6: Well, it started on the left front paw, and then it kind of also started to include the back okay. left leg. Okay.
4: There is, there is some medication that might help if the muscles you know, need to be relaxed. One of, one of the things that can help and helps with people as well is Valium. A lot of times you get some muscle relaxation with that. There is a drug called Robaxin, uh, which is a muscle relaxer. People take it uh, for various things, and we use it in, in dogs as well. Uh, has she been sedated and, and checked under sedation no, she hasn't. Uh, if this, if these things don't help, in other words, talk to your vet, but he may need to do a workup uh, from the standpoint of uh, uh, under sedation. It may help. And after that, uh, people have tried acupuncture, uh, other types of uh, medication, but you might speak to the vet about
0: those things, okay? All right, Don. thanks for your call. Let's go now to a puppy question from Lisa in Madison. Good morning, Lisa.
6: Thanks for having me. Sure, go ahead. Um, Our family got a bull mastiff puppy, and um, at about two and a half months, we took the dog to the vet. They said they thought they heard a heart murmur, the dog was asymptomatic, but they said they would just follow it. Recently, about a week ago, at four months, we took the dog in to get her rabies vaccination, and they said the heart murmur was persistent And our local vet said that they thought it was going to be either aortic or pulmonic stenosis and recommended we go seek specialty care for evaluation. Um, So I guess my questions are, and and the dog is completely asymptomatic from a cardiac standpoint, as far as I can tell. So my questions are, Is where's a good place to go, and what could I expect from these conditions, potentially?
4: Sure. Uh, Very difficult to... uh, tell what's going on without possibly an echocardiogram, uh, this sort of thing. There may be other tests that need to be done. The dog is asymptomatic, which is good. Uh, On the other hand, this may be a problem that worsens. A lot of times, and one reason your vet said kind of wait is that a lot of times uh, these uh, murmurs or heart situations will get better with age, but I think you're at that limit right now. If it's going to get better on its own, it's not going to do it. My suggestion would be either the University uh, at Mississippi State. Uh, there are specialty uh, specialty uh, veterinarians that are in Memphis and I believe in Slidell specialty clinics, and also at LSU. So you have options, and I think it would be good to get a workup done on this puppy. Okay. <laughs>
0: Thanks, Lisa, for your call. Uh, got a couple minutes left, so George, we wanted to uh, promote and let folks know about uh, the upcoming. It's an annual event at the museum, Fossil Road Show, which you said is coming in March. Yes, March fourth, Saturday, from ten to three.
3: The museum's open all day. Um, we will have all kinds of activities for adults and uh, the young folks alike. We're inviting anybody out there who has any interest in fossils whatsoever, although there is a community of fossil collectors that comes out to see what their neighbors are finding. Uh, It's a great way for anyone to learn more about Fossils of Mississippi. And again, that's uh, 10 to 3, Saturday, March
0: 4th. Okay. And again, if, you, if you've got something that you think is a fossil or just needs some identification with it, you could bring it and uh, you could possibly to help someone figure out what it is? Absolutely. We'll have a panel
3: of experts, paleontologists from all over the state, as well as Louisiana. will be out there to
0: manage the crowd and all the things that they bring in. All right. And also, we talked about uh, the length of uh, the Tetanoboa. Do we have any idea of how much it weighed?
3: Yeah, they're looking at somewhere between a ton and 2,500 pounds. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's a big snake,
0: isn't it? <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I can imagine how the way some people react to the snakes that we see. And so those that are afraid of a snake uh, to run across that sort of thing, that would probably uh, that would be a life changer. That's for sure. Uh, George, thanks for coming in. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating its 20th year of conserving Mississippi's lands, waters and wildlife and from contributions from listeners like you. If you need to hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman and screening calls this morning with Sam Wells. For Levy Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and our guest George Phillips, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's MPB's Season Pass with Jay White and Sam Wells, and uh, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.